If you bow your heads with me, we'll open up with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are always thankful to be gathered in your name to get to know you and your son a little more. We ask that uh, you bless the study so that it will be a blessing to all that are here and that will that will listen to it later. But Lord, we ask uh, primarily that you be with all those that you've placed in these various trials and tribulations that they're in in their lives, um, that you be with them each and every day and that you show them the love that only you can do but also that you help them uh, with endurance and strength to get through these various things that you have placed them in. Knowing that you have done that, we ask that you are merciful to them in their situations. Uh, we know that you can do that, Lord, and we just ask that you show mercy to all. We also ask, Lord, that you be with the body of Christ in general, as we always do uh, each and every day as we go about our lives. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But for now, Lord, we are thankful for this time we're be we've been given together. We ask that the spirit be anointed, uh, that it anoint us for this um, study so that we can understand what we're going to hear and see in the study. And we also ask, Lord, that whatever we do each and every day of our lives, that you allow us to use that time in a way that glorifies you with all the thoughts we have, uh, whether they be good or bad in our estimation, that we give you thanks for them and that we bring them into uh subjection to the obedience of Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. So welcome back, everyone. I am happy to be back. Um, I know it's been quite a while. Go ahead and get this up on my screen here. Um, hopefully, we will see what the Lord says is the ultimate uh, reality of the situation, but hopefully... The Lord will uh, bless me to be able to do regular studies. I've always wanted to do them every single week, and that has not happened for a very long time. But it's I have never had a period of time where I haven't been able to do them uh, for five weeks in a row. That's that's a long time for me. So anyhow, uh, I was out on an island, but in the prayer closet, as it were. So uh, anyhow, I'm glad to be back and doing this, and that's what was needed for the time. So. We are picking up from a long time ago, it seems, with this study, but we're, I hope it'll be relevant to what we're going to be experiencing in our lives from day to day. And also, um, as we pick up with the study, hopefully it'll bring back some th um, things from the last study that might be relevant and useful to us as we go about our daily lives. That's really what I try to do and share. Um, let me go ahead and see if my webcam. Um, that's not the right one either. Well, I don't know if I'll have a webcam tonight, but uh, that's all right. I don't want to spend too much time trying to figure out which one it, it is trying to use. It's using my other one, but uh, anyhow, uh, I don't think that's that important. So <laughs> I think I'll go ahead and try one more thing. And uh, if I don't get it right away, I'm just going to not worry about it because I don't I know everyone liked me being on screen here, and I didn't want to take any time, but I was reading and didn't uh, actually look into it. I think someone's been playing on my computer is what's happened. So, anyhow, I have a special webcam for my schooling so that when I do remote classes, it actually pans uh, around my room so they can make sure you're not cheating since your tests are at your house and, you know, People could do that if they wanted to. 
Um, so anyhow, I think I may be on the screen now. I'm not sure. Go ahead and try one more thing. Uh, but anyhow, I have two webcams for that purpose. And uh, as a result, sometimes it can uh, work or not work. So anyhow, uh, aside from that, welcome back to the study. I don't know if I'm on screen or not. I can't see myself. I'm going to assume I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to waste any more time on it. So anyhow, uh, we are on part 131 of the Awesome Hands series. This Tonight, I actually was going to name this the Brass Serpent or something to that effect when I sent out the notice for the study. But I'm not going to name it that. I chose to rename this to Fiery Serpent, and you'll see why. But uh, our study today finds us looking in the mirror, and specifically looking in the mirror as if we we're a Jew. Because where we're going to be at in uh, Numbers 21 tonight is going to hopefully, hopefully have us looking at ourselves as if we are Jews, because we are spiritual Jews. But in this story, we're talking about physical Jews. But I hope this just relates to us in a way that helps us uh, understand that we're just like everyone else that are around us. And we struggle. And it doesn't matter who we are. We are uh, God's people. And we're going to be given trials and tribulations, but also the benefits of being God's people. And so hopefully that'll be, a, that'll, that'll be an encouragement uh, ta uh, taken from this. Thank you for letting me know I'm on the screen. I don't know how I'm on the screen, but I am, um, but I can't see it. And that doesn't matter. So anyhow, um, when the Lord called the children of Israel to be his people, they had a hard time adjusting to the requirements that being God's people required of them. So just like uh, being given a coat of many colors, all of a sudden thrust upon you this weight that wasn't there before, no matter how uh, heavy or light you might think that weight is, all of a sudden you have a weight upon you. And so it's something that wasn't there before and being new, um, you're going to experience an adjustment. Just like if you're going to put on armor, like David couldn't adjust to the armor that was given to him. Uh, so he chose to go without it. Well, we have different things the Lord, the Lord just puts in our path that we have to deal with. So as uh, with the Israelites um, being a beast, uh, as they were in, in, in many different respects, um, as with the Israelites being a beast that doesn't want to go the, the direction the master wants them to go, we too buck and pull at the bit that the Lord puts in our mouths. And the reason why I said it that way is because we're going to be dealing with this familiar story of the fiery serpents that the Israelites had to look upon to be saved because they had disobeyed and actually murmured against the Lord and Moses. That's what our verse is going to be about, but I hope it's not going to be the standard uh, story about that. You know, this, the, the verses are what they are. But there's always something else to be taken away from every story that we read. And no matter how many times we read it, there's always something we can that the Lord can use to show us something different. So anyhow, in Psalms 32, 8 through 32, 11, this is you and I. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with the bit and brittle lest they come near unto you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall com compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. So the section here is called the bronze serpent. <clears throat> in our previous study, which I know was a long time ago, we went over how Moses was led um, 
and how, I'm sorry, how he was led to lead the Israelites to the king of Edom uh, to ask for passage through, through the land of uh, Edom. And the reason why he did that was because they had come to this point where they needed to go there. And he asked the king of Edom in many different ways, we'll do this, we'll do that. And the king of Edom just wasn't having it. He said, you will not come through this land. And of course, Moses referred to Edom and Edomites, as it were, as his brothers, because they were. They were relatives, distant, as it were, but they were all relatives. They were all um, descendants of the same group of people. Not directly, not direct relatives, but essentially they were Esau and Jacob. And so Moses was denied passage no matter how he presented the solution to the king of We'll just go through the land and we'll do X, Y, Z. And the king wasn't having it. So I stated in that study this statement. And I'm just going to read this to start to bridge the gap between the two studies, since there was a, a long gap of time there. You and I will be rejected just as the people of God were because we claim to be God's people. His sons. So that was the first point. His sons. We claim to be his people and his sons. And two, we claim to be as he is. So are we in this world. So I also in that study attempted to convey that this rejection is also within within us. The old man in us will deny that we are the sons of God and that the old serpent and that old serpent will do everything he can to convince us that we are not what God has revealed to us that we are. In other words, I will always have this prick that the that the, that old serpent, the devil, Satan, can tempt me with. He, he'll the Lord leads us into temptation. And Satan and his minions and his his uh, demons and devils and whatever you want to call them, his spiritual beings under his control. They're going to tempt us with inside of us asking us, hey, son of man, hey, son of man, come down from that cross if you're able to do so. While we're on the altar of God, while we're on the cross of God. And so as a result, we're going to always have to deal with that, right? So in our study today, we will see that the same attitude in the, in the Israelites that they had will be in us. And we will see how the Lord reacts to this mindset. But then also we'll see how he also frees us of that. He, he heals us. He saves us. So before we get into these uh, verses that we're going to talk about tonight, and because of the time lapse again uh, since having the previous study, I want to cover some verses to connect the studies together. Here's where we left off in our last study. Numbers 20:21. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage to his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. As a recap, even Moses referred to Edom as the brothers of Israel, as the as, as the brothers of the Israelites. And that was found in Numbers 2014. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, thou knowest all the travail that has befallen us. So he petitions Edom and he says, hey, I need some help here. Your people, your, your family, we need help. Let us come through here. And he's rejected. And that study really shows you how you're going to be rejected of your own kin. And I don't mean just of blood, but also of your Christian kinfolk, whether they be the brothers and sisters in the, the Babylonian church we've come from. And also within the body of Christ, there will be those that are manifest to be approved and those that aren't. And, and there will be rejections as a result. So Edom refuses to give passage to the Israelites. And as as if that weren't. Um, going to be hard enough for the Israelites, the head priests then die. I didn't read this last study, but I'm connecting the two with this study tonight. So we didn't read this last time, Numbers 20, 22 through 29. I think it's important to read this because the the, the high priest is going to die now. 
And this was as a result of what uh, Moses and Aaron had done, um, uh, you know, particularly Moses, with striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And the children of Israel, when the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came into Mount Hor. Now, again, they've just been rejected. Uh, passage to the, the land of Edom. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, Eleazar, his son, and bring them up into Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, put them upon Eleazar, his son, and Aaron shall be gathered into his people, and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there in the top of the mountain. Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the house of Israel. So this was a profound event. This happened to them all. They saw it. They witnessed it. So the Lord, the way the Lord works is that he takes things from us so that he can give us things so that he can then give us things. He takes away the old man so that the new man can take its, his place. He takes away our sin that righteousness can be given in life. We are stripped of unrighteousness so that God, godliness can prevail. And you can use these back and forth all throughout scripture. He takes away things to replace them with something. So the Lord is a giver and a taker all at the same time. Now, I know that's not a new concept, but I hope that's going to start to connect these two studies together and particularly make some points in this study with what's going to happen with the Israelites tonight in this study. Job 1, 21 through 22. And said, naked came out, came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So in tithe, we have our brother uh, who denies and rejects us, the old, and that old man, Aaron, has died. So what I'm trying to say here in this, this way, I just said this, is in type and shadow, we have a situation where Aaron represents the old man. He's going to die. And there's going to be something that happens as a result, because with that death, we know that life is brought forth or we know that there's a transition to something else. Just like every single day we see the sun go down and the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Night and day they transition, seasons transition, we transition, so many transitions. Well, this is just a type of shadow of that happening. So this sets the stage for what the Lord does in our lives. He leads us into temptation and we usually give into that temptation that he leads us into. He tempts no man, but he leads us there. He definitely leads us to where we need to go to be tempted. Wasn't Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ himself led up into the wilderness to be tempted? Of the, he was led of the spirit up into the wilderness to be tempted. So in the case of the study today, the Israelites should be repenting of everything they've been doing and doubting and mocking. Uh, that they've been doing and doubting and the mocking of the Lord. Especially since the Lord had just executed his judgment on Aaron for disobedience. But that isn't what any of us do initially. In other words, we see that the Lord is going to pass his wrath on someone. We don't look at that and say, well, I wonder what happened there. I better take note and uh, try not to do that, especially when it's somebody you know, especially when it's the high priest. You think the Israelites would take note. Mm. They do, but then they.
just stop and they forget or they walk away from the mirror, the glass, as it were, forgetting what man they were, what manner of man they were, and they just go about their way, right, to do what they want. So let us now look in the mirror held up to the, the face of the people of God. Numbers 21, 1 through 3. And when King Arid, this is the start of the verses for tonight. I know that was a big foundational lane of let's get back into it. But I want to state all that so that we could get into the studies that would all make sense together. Numbers 21, 1 through 3. And when King Arid, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that, the Israel, that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of that place Hormah. Interestingly, Hormah means devoted. This is due to the Israelites doing what they wanted and making a vow to the Lord to destroy the cities of the people of Arid. Arid has taken some prisoners, and, Arid, and Israel wanted to avenge themselves, to take revenge, uh, to be vengeful, but we know the vengeance is the Lord's. But in this particular instance, right before this topic of the fiery serpent's going to come to the surface, Israel goes and slays all these people. However, after this revenge is executed, doing what the Lord says doesn't have the same appeal. In other words, the Israelites uh, were given this vow to be successful because they vowed to the Lord, if, if you will uh, just deliver these people, we'll utterly destroy them. And that's what the Lord did. So you would think they would have, oh, Aaron died, you know, uh, he, the Lord was executing his judgment on Aaron. And then he executes his judgment in favor of this. Like you think that the progression of these types of events would cause the Israelites to act a certain way. Thankfulness, uh, loyalty, certainly not disobedience, but that's not what happens. And if we look closely at ourselves we're going to notice that that's what happens with us. Sure, they need the Lord's help when they have something in mind. But when the Lord is calling the shots, their hearts just aren't as encouraged. And of course, we know the Lord's calling the shots at all times. But it's easy to forget that the Lord was just in your face, uh, putting it on full display. Moses, go up here. Take Aaron with him. Take his son with him. Derobe him. Put it on his son. And Aaron's going to die right there. And everybody saw it. You would think that'd be enough that the Lord executed his judgment right in front of them. But, and then he did it to the people. He slayed a whole people, all their cities in front and by the hand of the Israelites. You would think they would take note. The Lord, when he, he issues a mandate, it's going to happen. So the first message of the study tonight is when the Lord issues a, a mandate, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter what time there is. It's us. As humans who experience this time lapse and we and it's an enemy to us. Time is our enemy, not because it's fleeting only because it is. And, and we just don't take advantage of the time that we could because the Lord puts it on our hearts and do things the way we do it. But that's not the only thing. Time is our enemy because the Lord does not change. And the Lord says, dit, 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 and then he says, dot, 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 dot. In other words, he says, I'm going to do this. And then he does that. It's just a matter of timing. Us as humans, uh, time passes a little bit, sometimes the next day, sometimes the next hour, and we're back to our old ways. 
But in this story, hopefully, um, our hearts can be encouraged by what the Lord does after this. Because he does forgive us. He does lead us into a certain way so that we can learn. Numbers 21, 4 through 5 continue. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So he delivers them. He, he gives them the power to defeat their enemies, to gain those prisoners back. Then they come to the mount uh, from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to com compass the land of Edom. By the way, the land they had been rejected. So they're discouraged, you know. I, they're just down and about, you know. They did, The Lord put this on their heart. So then, because of this discouragement, the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt and to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. I don't think this is the time to complain. But, you know, this is how the Lord wanted to be. But it should be a lesson to us that when we're in the trial, in the midst of it, as hard as it can be, we just need to keep in mind the words of the Lord and be thankful for the trial because it's in that moment that you're closest to God or could be. And why do I say that? Because you're in the most need of God in your life. At that moment, he's revealing to you. He's reaching down to your situation that he has placed you in and saying, call out unto me. I hear you. I'm there. I'm with you. I will deliver you. You will be given deliverance, but it's in my timing. But I'm here. We've all seen that, that picture of the footprints and that whole story of, why have you left me, Lord? And it ends with, I'm, you know, speeding this all up, of course, but it ends with, I was there the whole time. I was carrying you. We've all seen that, that picture probably. That's a good story and all, and that's, you know, it'll make you think about things. But the real truth is the Lord's been there the whole time from beginning to end. And what he really wants us to know is not only is he carrying us, but he's there the whole time putting us in the situation where we can't handle the situation on our own. Thus, we need to be carried, just as an example. So it's in that time that we're closest to the Lord because it's in our weakness that he is made strong in us. So the Lord delivered the Canaanites into the hand of the Israelites. but They became discouraged still. Instead of petitioning the Lord to help them, they instead speak against the Lord and the Lord's servant Moses. In other words, they could have said something like, Lord, we, we, we appreciate all that you've done for us. We're struggling here. We know you've put us in this place. We're hungry. Just show us how to work, Lord, and make some bread. Show us how to get some food. Help us with this problem. Instead, they just murmur. You know, they, they speak against the Lord. They speak, they speak against Moses, the servant of the Lord. How do you think this is going to go? The Lord just destroyed a whole people, like I said. He killed the high priest. Not killed as in murdered, but, you know, he, he put to death Aaron. It was his time, and that's what happened. And he did it in front of everybody. I think the Lord is trying to give a message here. So ask yourself if this is something you have done yourself. Have you murmured against the Lord? And if so, how's that going to go for you? Because if it if this is something you have done, then you need to understand how the Lord reacts to such situations. We've all experienced it, and I know I'm you know of, among a lot of our fellowshipping brethren and sister, sisterin is that a word? Uh, I'm a little bit younger. I'm not that young any, anymore, but uh, I'm still young at heart. Uh, but anyhow. Um, I know it seems like eh, you've been through a lot more than me and I can, I can say this though, cause I've been through enough, but the point is we've all been in a situation 
that uh, we we've had to reap what we sow. And as a result, it as many times as that happens to us, it seems like we forget the last time or the, the second or third to last time so quickly. No matter how old we are, we just forget quickly. So if this has happened to you, like it's happening to the Israel, uh, Israelites, let's think about it as a history lesson because it is a history lesson. But what are we supposed to do with history? I just was telling Michael, my son, this. Uh, we're talking about history and how history itself, it's just a teaching tool. Because honestly, what can you do with history? You can remember it, you can examine it, you can enjoy it at times, depending on what it is. And some people have a love for history. I like history, but history is primarily there to show us what to do and what not to do. Because if we learn from history, we can apply that knowledge and then move forward, hopefully in a better way. All of the Lord, of course, but that's the point. The Lord is teaching us all the time. That's our history. That's our past so that our future can potentially be better. And if it's not, if it's hard, we at least have a knowledge of how to get through that with the heart and, and lips of Thanksgiving as we should have. So, yes, this is a history lesson for the physical Jews, but this history lesson is there for us to learn from. And the Lord changes not. Numbers 21, 5 through 6 says, And the people spake against God and Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loveth this light bread. Continuing in verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. He sent them among the people, in the middle of them, all around them. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now I know everyone, practically everyone here, is uh, familiar with this story. So given that the Lord doesn't change and the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people to, to bite them. <clears throat> what can we learn from this situation as it pertains to murmuring against the Lord and reaping the results of that action? Now, we all know inherently, I guess, not to murmur against the Lord. But children murmur against their parents all the time. Their parents tell them how to behave and the results of what will happen if you don't behave. But kids constantly murmur against their parents. But with the Lord... Uh, we're supposed to be growing, and each time we murmur, and each time, you know, I, I hold my oldest child to a slightly higher standard than my uh, younger children because you got a learning process going on there, right? And what I mean by a higher standard is you're expected to do more because you've been given more time and more experience to understand that situation and what is expected. So it's not as bad as it sounds when considering that what we want the new man to do is increase daily in us, but our cup must be cleansed and emptied in order to make room for something else. In other words, all that sounds when we talk about reaping and sowing and, you know, doing things that we're not supposed to do, of course, it conjures up certain uh, ideas of punishment and discipline and such. But we, we want that. We don't want it at the time and we certainly don't want it for ourselves. And we praise the Lord for his judgments, his righteous judgments until they happen to us. And then we just murmur. We all do it. They're just that. It's what's in us. Now, it does get better, and we do get better at not murmuring and being thankful. However, we just do. That's all. That's what we do. So as a result, we need to be happy in the sense that that is the part of the old man dying, because that murmuring is going to be destroyed. It's going to be dealt with. So while we do have to deal with that, and while it is not a good thing, it's not a good thing for a good reason. And the good reason is, the Lord has to take all that yuck, yuck, that nastiness, the stuff that bo boils and bubbles to the surface to do away with it. 
to purge it, to get it gone. It's like gold. When you want to melt down gold, it burns and it burns and it burns and all the impurities and all the imperfections, they just come to the top and get pushed out of the way. That has to happen. And that's the good that's going to come about from it. But again, our cup, uh, our cup must be cleansed and emptied in order to make room for something else. And that something else is going to be talked about here in this study. But first, let's look at what happens after the Lord pours out his wrath on the children of Israel, because I would like to know about that since I am a Jew inwardly. Numbers 21, 7 says, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you, talking to Moses, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Notice it was Moses that is spoken against as the servant of the Lord. And it is Moses who prays for the people when they sin against God and Moses. Numbers 21, 8 through 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery servant and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made his serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. I don't know if this is often thought about. I thought I think about it. But, you know, making a even a brass serpent, that took a little bit of time. I mean, I don't know how artsy it had to be or how crafty it had to be. I mean, he could have took some brass and slithered it into a shape and bam, it's on a pole. Who knows? But there was still time. And while there was time, I mean, snakes biting you, that's going to hurt. And then you're going to die. There was still suffering going on while Moses was working. I don't know if that's profound to you, but it's profound to me because while Moses is the one being persecuted, in essence, via the people murmuring against Moses, who's just doing what he's supposed to do because he's been given that coat of leadership at that time. There's work being done. Moses like, I got the cure. I got the cure. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. People are dying. They had to be. But, you know, as scripture reads, it just seems like it's quick. Regardless, typically it's not understood that when the Lord sends a trial our way, it is meant to heal us, not only to destroy the old man in us. It is meant to heal us, every trial. And by that, I mean through death comes life. It is a fiery serpent that is used to bite the people. And it is a fiery serpent Moses is told to make in order to save the lives of the people. What is hidden in this familiar story and very familiar verses is who the serpent here is. Who is the serpent we're talking about? This will not be news to some of us, but the serpent is, was, and will be Jesus the Christ. The Christ. And I put here, what? Blasphemy. Is it? Is this blasphemy to say that the serpent is Jesus Christ? Jesus the Christ? Let us look at the fiery, fiery serpent again in a, in a spiritual words kind of way. Let us uh, compare spiritual with spiritual. John 6, 63. You're going to know these verses, but let's lay them down here just to remind ourselves. It is the spirit that quickens, quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Numbers 21, 6 is said this way first. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and the much people of Israel died. And to break that apart, I have listed fiery and serpents separate because they are separate Hebrew words. Fiery being H8314 and serpents being H5175. The fiery serpents, as opposed to just simple serpents, are very fiery indeed. Here's the word fiery, 8314. I know some of you know this, 
But let's see uh, if there's anything else the Lord will uh, let us discover about this word. So it's the word fiery five times, serpent three, seraphims two, and one burned. That word burn there shouldn't be there. It's actually the root of this word, burned, which is 8313. Uh, but anyhow, it, it conveys the same thought, essentially. So we're talking about seraphims here. You notice it's two times. We're going to read them so we know that's what we're talking about. Isaiah 61 and sorry, 6, 1 and 6, 2. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. This story is happening to Isaiah, who goes on to be a very important prophet to the Lord as it pertains to prophecy. And continuing in verses 6, 3 through 6, 7, we see this. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That, that phrase is somewhere else in the, the Bible. And I believe it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims, the same word fiery, unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched my lips, thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. So fire, coal, you know, coal burns. This live coal, that, that, that means a fiery coal. Is what cleanses. And then did you know in other parts of the Bible, fire then is on the outside, but then it becomes on the inside. You ever notice how you worship Jesus on the outside and then all of a sudden it becomes real on the inside? Everything happens out there and then it happens in there, inside you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here, see, the seraphims can approach us and use the altar. They can approach and use the altar. See, the seraphim, he goes to the altar, if you notice there. And the seraphim said unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. They, they can access the altar. They can use the altar. They can go to the altar. They can come from the altar. And they can go back. This is very important to know and acknowledge because it lets us understand some of the spiritual significance of the Lord sending fiery serpents among the people. Because you notice it's the fiery serpents that bite the people. And this bite kills them. I like to call them fiery servants, and they're used to bring both death and life. They are the fiery serpents that dwell in the fire, but serpents are beasts, and like all beasts, they have their place in God's kingdom. We're talking about the seraphims, right? In Isaiah 33, 14 through 15, it says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? It is he that walks upright, walks righteously, speaketh uprightly, and he that despises the gain of oppressions and shakes his hand from the holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. This just happens to be a sixth winged beast, even though it's a serpent. So I know this is familiar, so we're going to build upon this familiar, familiarity. That's a word I think it is. Uh, H8314. So this is the same word fiery. Serpent, fiery serpent, poisonous serpent, fiery from burning effect of poison, a seraph or a seraphim, 
majestic being with six wings, human hands, or voices in attendance upon God. This word is rooted in burning or kindling, which is one of the words I mentioned before as being translated as AD314. It's actually AD313. Uh, a primitive root to be causatively set on fire, to cause to, to make a burn, burning, burn up, to kindle utterly. So the B2B says that that was the strongest. This is the B2B to burn, to burn, to be burned, burner, burning, part of, participle, to be burnt up, to be burned. It's a primitive root and it's a verb. So yes, the fiery serpents, spiritually speaking, are God's people who dwell in the fire and speak from fire from their mouths and speak from the fire with fire coming out of the house. But so whatsoever is not burned up is left over and those leftovers are saved. Notice that it's the fiery serpents that also save the people. Just like Moses is used both as the one that's going to take this beating of words and why have you done this to us? Why have you brought us out here to die? It's going to be the same Moses that's going to save him. How do he save him? He prayed for him. And the Lord answered his prayers and said, here's what you do, Moses. And then he used the same thing he brought to the people to heal them. It should be significant. It's the same thing. But if you're connecting all the dots here, Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow. Moses is speaking. Follow me as I follow Christ. He's doing an example. I follow God. I did what God said. He said, do this. And here's what happens. The people need to follow along and do what happens. And guess what? These fiery serpents represent that. They're, these are the seraphim. We follow Christ and we tell others to follow us. But we're, what they don't know is we're saying, come on up here. You know that altar call we're all familiar with in the church? They're all about being saved. I get it. And I'm not making fun of it. But they're all about being saved. They're so happy. But what they really don't know is you're saying, come on down here and die. That's the true altar call. Come on up here. Get on this cross with me. And when we realize that, where was Jesus Christ close to God at? I'm pretty sure he was close to God on that cross. Because in a few, in a short period of time, he was going to be dead. He was closer to God than when he first began. Second Samuel 22, 7 to 22, 9 says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and it trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because, of his, because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of the mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. <clears throat> Jeremiah 5.14 says, Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Revelation 11.4-11.6 says, These are two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven and that it rain, not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. So one of the main attributes of fire, aside from being very hot, is that it is very bright and it is light. And of course, fire can take on on differing levels of brightness. 
Um, we've all seen those deep, dark blues, you know. And I'm colorblind, but I still can see the blue. And we see the bright white, and we see the, the colors in between, you know. But overall, it's bright as compared to darkness. So in recent news, uh, the Pope, the Catholic Pope, has been recorded in an interview saying there is no hell. So as can be expected, there has been much conversation about this and much backlash from Christians over these recorded statements. So, of course, the Pope has released some truth unbeknownst to him. But honestly, I, I believe he fully knows it. He knows it's the truth. After all, the Catholic Church is the one that started this indoctrination of hell. They were the ones transcribing and translating and putting it in the Bible. They needed this doctrine, among other doctrines. The Catholic Church knows there is no hell since they are the entity used on this earth as the source of such doctrine. The Lord called it all, of course, but the Pope has recently said that, right? So hell as a doctrine was incorporated from pagan religions so that it could be welcomed into the church doctrine and pull in more pagans into Christianity. In general, that's a general statement. So I know I'm preaching to the choir on this topic, but I find it interesting giving this topic of fiery serpents who both kill and heal. So I was listening to the radio at lunchtime just today. And as I heard uh, on the radio today, a commentator addressed this topic. It just struck me what was said about it. And this very much uh, relates to the study. That's why it's, it's amazing how the Lord works things. But I was just today listening to this study. I'm sorry, listening to this radio broadcast and thinking about this study. And, he, and this radio broadcaster, and you, you may some you some of you may have even heard it today, but he simply mentioned uh, that this statement by the Pope was going to be trouble for the Catholic Church, and it will lead into a lot of questions. And I said, yeah, in my mind, you know, I said, yeah, it's going to lead to a lot of questions. But questions are good because questions get you thinking. But the way he said it, uh, I, it gave me the impression, and the way he was just saying it, it implied that this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad for the Catholic Church. It's going to lead into all these these questions and he wasn't applying it in a good way uh, because, you know, hell is real. You know, that's where he was coming from. Hell is real. So what he then used and read aloud on air as a quote, uh, as a quote was a quote from Billy Graham and it was Matthew 10, 28. Now I didn't go research this. I'm just going by what was said. Um, but he, he said that Billy Graham basically said this one time and he overheard Billy Graham in a, in a broadcast say this and he had spoken and about hell, Billy Graham, uh, in reference to Matthew 10, 28. And it's intrigued to me because when you hear this verse, it's one of those fiery serpent moments when the light will bite you, when the fire of God will consume you, if God has made it your time to be consumed in this regard. He was using this as a proof that hell exists. And he said it in such a way that Jesus Christ Billy Graham was attributed to being to having said that Jesus Christ spoke the most out of everyone in the Bible about hell. And of course, knowing scripture, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, maybe he said hell a lot in English. But uh, anyhow, knowing what I know, I went to look at Matthew 10, 20. I knew the verse and I knew as he was reading it, what it was about. But it just intrigued me. And I said, oh, this was really good for the study. Thank you, Lord. So here it goes. Matthew, I'm going to read around it. Matthew 10, 26 to 10, 28. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness that speak you in light and what you hear in the ear that preach upon the housetops. Now, this is what Christians, they love to preach this upon the housetops because it proves that hell exists. But does it? 
Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now to me, because the Lord has opened my ears and opened my eyes that I may see and my, that I might hear, I just read something that doesn't really go along with the doctrine of hell being eternal or lasting for eternity. This radio radio host that was quoting Billy Graham says that Billy Graham was making the point that, again, every person uh, talks about the most about hell in the Bible. The, the person who talks the most about hell in the Bible is Jesus. And Jesus spoke about hell a lot. That's the quote he had. Right. But is that true? So let's look at verse 28 again as it pertains to the doctrine of eternal hell or eternity in hell. According to mainstream Christianity, as we all know, hell is forever and always. This is what we must be saved from. Hell. Not to burn in hell. That's what that's what Jesus came to do. Not to burn people in hell. Not to send them to hell. Oh, of course, he's not doing it. You're doing it because you're not choosing him. But is that what we just read? We do not want to go to fire forever. Or do we? Because the truth is quite revealing. We want to be in fire forever. Because fire is where God's at. God is a consuming fire. And if he gives me cleansing by touching my lips and purifying them with fire, then I want that fire. And then when he breathes it out of my mouth, it comes from within me to out of me. I want that fire. Everyone knows Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And that other guy that was in there in the flames with them. It astounded the king so much he let them out. Why wouldn't you want to be in the fire? But, oh, fire is a bad thing. Matthew 10, 28 tells us from Jesus' mouth to our ears, fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. But if hell is eternal and it lasts forever, how can somebody be destroyed in hell? Or, as I profess to you, is there something else being said? We all know there is. But with the with spiritual eyes, you're able to see clearly that if someone can destroy the, the soul and the body in hell, quote unquote, that doesn't really bode well for those that say hell's eternal. So which is it? Is hell forever or is hell able to end? Can a soul and body be destroyed by someone in hell? Some say it's the devil doing and destroying and some say it is God, depending on the various doctrine that a Christian denomination might hold. Some say it's the devil who's destroying the body and the soul. Some say it's God. But there is an apparent conflict no matter what you think or who you think the destroyer is. Indeed, this first makes it very apparent that the soul and body can be destroyed in hell, in English anyways, in hell. Because that really, we know, in this particular instance, it's Gehenna, Gehenna fire. So what do we do with this? Yes, this should make many Christians wonder. Both eternity and destruction can happen in hell. So something else must be being said there. I'm sorry. Both eternity and destruction can't happen in hell. In other words, either you're there or you can be destroyed, as the verse says, in hell. So these, this is where fiery serpents and servants come in. Since we are able to dwell in the fire comfortably and breathe fire from our mouths, maybe we can be considered a source of information on this topic. We know that the word used here is not hell, but Gehenna, Gehenna fire, as in Gehenna fire. And this Gehenna fire is fire, but fire is meant to destroy what can be destroyed. And whatever remains is saved, yet so as by fire. So I will end this study with these familiar verses in order to show that the Lord does indeed 
use his fiery serpents to heal and to kill and destroy at the same time. This happens within us and without us. You'll know these verses, but maybe in a different light, you will see them tonight. In 1 Corinthians 3.11 through 3.20, it says this. For other foundation can no man lay that which that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build up this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide in which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Notice the very next verse. I, I talk about this verse to my very my kids all the time. Know you not that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. He's telling you right here in these verses what fire's effect is and who it is affecting. And why it's important. You're the temple of God. Here's where fire is at. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If man, um, if any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. So our reward will come as a result of the fire revealing what remains and burning away the rest. In a context of this study, any trial that comes along is going to produce the same, the same result. If you touch a flame, it's going to burn you. We all know this. You learn it as a kid. But with that flame comes a burning, comes a scalding. You get a scab. It heals over. You get new skin. The same is in effect with trials and tribulations in our life. I know it's easy to speak about it when I'm just speaking about it. I'm not going through it myself. But that doesn't mean I'm not going through fiery trials. It doesn't mean that others aren't as well. The essence of it all is the fiery trials there to burn us, to bring us closer to God. And that closer, that closest to God comes from, just as Paul says, I die daily. Or to be baptized into his death and risen unto life. You're, you're, you're rising. You're going to go down. In other words, think of something. I, I burn wood constantly every single day in my wood stuff. That word, wood starts off nice and hard and strong. And I'm telling you, within no time, just ashes. Nothing but ashes. It burns down. But when you imagine that 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 process also produces a lot of heat and that you can imagine that if it was like the spiritual process, life comes forth from that. In other words, Imagine that that physical wood being burned away and a spiritual wood being risen in its place because, you know, it's like the seraphims. We're all beasts, but we become these domesticated, domesticated beasts in the sense that we become God's beasts for his purpose. We're still going to have to always remember what we've come through in order to be that. But the Lord is putting us through our trials and tribulations for the purpose of bringing life forth from those trials. So I hope this. Uh, the study was beneficial and that it will bless you. And that will be it for tonight. And I hope we will be together.